Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Democrat Laura Curran, the first woman elected county executive on Long Island, breaking a glass ceiling and vowing to break with the past. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Thought-provoking conversations that get right to the point. Observers say her future is bright. You're here to tell us more about it, Laura Curran. Now here's Laura Curran. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. I am Laura Curran, and I'm going to be with you here on WABC 77 every Sunday at 4 p.m. A uh, special shout-out to everyone who's listening to our stream on WABC.com and on the 77 WABC mobile app. So I am so excited to be with you. I just want to give you a little sense of what this show is going to be. Uh, I'm going to have two ca- two guests Aim to get two guests every week. So this week I'm going to be speaking with J.P. Parisi. If you live on Long Island, if you live in Tampa, you know exactly who I'm talking about from uh, Roger and J.P. Morning Show. And then I'm going to be talking to former Congressman Peter King about the growing rift in the GOP over Ukraine and how Kathy Hochul's housing plan is going over on Long Island. So what I want to do is similar. If you ever listen to my podcast, also called Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran, taking uh, the news of the week in, in a deeper way, looking at the, the nuances, looking at the subtle things, looking at local politics, national, international, um, and also looking at what's going on in the culture. As I was speaking with Curtis earlier today, I'm concerned about these sensitivity readers who are going over <laughs> Roald Dahl, Dr. Seuss, Ian Fleming, of course, who wrote uh, the James Bond series to take out offensive words. And, you know, what does that mean about our culture? Where are things going? I also am interested in looking at some other stuff going on in the culture Uh there was this really interesting op-ed in the New York Times the other day by a Princeton student who was saying that the super progressive shaming and punishing of people who are conservative, you know, on the left side, from the left point of view, who are shaming and shunning folks on the right are actually creating more fiery conservative firebrands, you know, with this all this emphasis on things like, quote, micro-invalidations. So that's the kind of thing I want to look at, get into, along with all of the, you know, raising teenagers in our culture right now. Uh, and if you know me, if you knew me in politics or now on the radio and on my podcast, I'm not interested in the talking points. I want to make space for robust debate. And I don't want to just talk at you. I want to talk to you. That's why I'm having guests. And that's why later on in this show and in following shows, I'm going to invite you to call in. And the number to call today is 833-967-4447. 833-969-4447. Okay. Before I get to Peter King, I'm really, really excited to introduce J.P. Parisi. So just to set the stage and, and to let you know why I invited J.P. to come as my very, very first guest. I, for what? what, I'm curious. <laughs> I was wondering, why the heck am I here? All right. 
Um, and he has his lovely wife, Nicole, by the way. They're going to make a date night after this. Uh, so when during COVID, I called Roger and JP a lot. And, and I felt that I became very connected to you guys. And I would sometimes hang up the phone and say, why was I so honest? Why did I open up so much? Why did I make myself so vulnerable? Uh, and these were these were very dark days in the very beginning of COVID, if you remember, JP. Yeah, man. And we didn't know how things were going, and there there was there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear. Uh, and it was almost sometimes a little bit like therapy. <laughs> well, that's what the to be quite honest with you, that's kind of what the genre does, especially with talk radio. You know, when you make that connection, or you can talk about the things that maybe in the past have made you feel you thought were a weakness. And then all of a sudden you talk about it and there's thousands of people now have this connection to you. Like, I'm not the only one. Oh right. my God, that makes me feel so great. And then they connect. And then once you have that connection, man, I mean, that's it. That's what it's all about. And then they'll tell you, I was in the car and I was listening and I just couldn't get out until you were saying this. And we got that a lot with you um, on our show. And, and that would be with her. <laughs> so funny. You know, when the first, when COVID first kicked in, that's really when we met Laura and she started coming in the first time. Like we weren't even, we, was it a handshake? Was it an elbow bump? Was it a foot kick? Yeah, that was because the very that was, beginning. that was that whole thing. And you know, my audience was just, we wanted to get the information out there, but we wanted it to be fun as fun as it could be. And it couldn't be fun in the beginning. But then we started forming relationships. And then if I thought, you know, if I thought Laura was maybe kind of shying away from what she really wanted to say, that's when I would dig down. And she could have lied and just gave the talking point and my whole audience would have just turned on her and that would have been the end of it. But she didn't and she was human. And they, and especially, you know, in New York, man, they'll sniff out BS. Oh yeah. They'll sniff it out quick. And once they do, you're done. And they didn't get that from you. You as a host, you have a real emotional intelligence. So you listen on not just the superficial level. You listen to the emotion under it. So that's when you can tell when someone is full of it. Or you can tell, like, maybe I can get them to go this way. Right. So so you have the ability to do that. But then there's another step that you take, and that's to make them feel comfortable enough to talk to you and to be honest with you. How do do you do that? Because, you know... We're lucky enough to where on that show we don't talk politics. So we would have, you know, the Nassau County Executive, Laura Curran, and the Suffolk County Executive, Steve Ballone, in in the beginning it was every day because it was death rates, it was more, you know, hospitalizations, where are the beds, where aren't the beds, what, who's putting Body uh, bags, bodies in, in, in you know, refrigerators and all that kind of stuff. And then once we got past that, but we still had, you know, you guys were honest and they didn't – our audience definitely because we never got any complaints from you or from never. That's shocking. It's very shocking, especially because my audience definitely leans right. Yeah. And I have two Democrats coming in and you know, there was definitely opposing visions, opposing views on, on, on COVID from jump street. Right. But they, nobody, you guys weren't coming in and just spewing. And we never talked politics. We try to stay away. Unless de Blasio was doing something stupid and Laura, I'd be like, Laura. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. She's like, well, yeah, it's a little bit hard to pay attention sometimes when they're on these conference <laughs> calls because you're listening to the idiocy that's going along with it. Yeah. But you guys came in, man, and you guys came in and you were honest. And that's all they wanted at that point. They wanted somebody 
to tell them the truth. And if you guys, if my partner Roger and I felt that that's not what you guys were doing, we would have never had you back again. You know, we would have said we need to go on from here because this isn't this is going to work because our ratings would have just taken taken a dip because that's the way they tell us what they want. Right. And we were through the roof right. when we were doing that all that that cover. And to be quite honest, Roger and I, unfortunately, made our bones on nine eleven. Yeah, because you guys started in the year two thousand. Yeah. So you were just starting out. You were just building an audience. And and I remember that. I remember tuning in. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. That was wild. That was when, because I was a baby in radio. You got to realize, you know, Roger, he had it's been 23 doing. 23 years ago. It's a lifetime. 23 years of doing mornings. And Roger has been on the air for 10 years, more than like 10 years before that. He was doing afternoons. And we, you know, when September 11th happened, we were in the studio watching it unfold. And I'm a, like, I'm a baby. Again, I started in 2000. Now you talk about September 2001. I'm thrown into the big leagues, mm. right? Um, and we had over the weeks, the days and the weeks, I mean, we got to the point where the Office of Emergency Management in New York City was calling us to stop sending supplies in. And the way they knew it was us is because we would get a phone call like they need knee pads. And we'd say, hey, they need knee pads at the knee pads at the pile. Next thing you know, there would be a truck full of knee pads wow. in our parking lot from um, Sports Authority. And they would drop it off. And then our guys would come in and get it to the city. But when they needed clothes to change into, we started sending cases and cases of T-shirts in. So now, before you know it, you have all these firemen with WBAB T-shirts on. And that's how office of and we were sending water and supplies. It was like we'd get the phone call. They need this. We'd say it on the air and boom, it was there. It was crazy. And that's when I first realized, like, wow. You but know. that shows your reach and your influence and the fact that people trust you, right? Yeah, because I think we just, man, I, it was like we had the right general manager in the spot that time. Rogers, that level of responsible. I'm not, you know, so I just took, I, I, I took the lead. You know, I took, I followed the lead and we just, we just knew and we played and we stopped playing music and then mm. we just let people talk and you just let them talk, especially after three, four days where they're not, um, they haven't heard from a lot and you just, you just let them go yeah. and you let them go when they want to do acts of violence against people, the types of people that may have, you know, done what happened on September 11th. You know what I'm saying? Like where they wanted to go to certain stores and drag somebody out. You'd have to talk them talk off the them ledge, off. Yeah. talk them off the ledge. And then the, so there was that. And then we had Superstorm Sandy where, again, you know, you just need to let them when you can give them the dance floor and you mm -hmm. can give them the ability to like they need to talk to somebody. It's bottled up. They're and looking they around. Hear, they need company. They, they need, need and they need reassurance yeah. is also what they're looking for. Now, now, the interesting thing about this radio show under the leadership of jo of Margot and John Katzmatidis. You know, you you say you don't talk politics because really what because you would basically alienate people and why why do For you need what? to do that? Now this station is a lot about politics. Of and me as a recovering politician, <laughs> I'm definitely I definitely see things through that political lens. Yeah. But I I also am not, you know, I'm not going to call anyone deplorable. I'm mm -hmm. not going to mock anyone for what they think. I want to have Republicans and Democrats on as I have in right. my in my podcast whether it's Kellyanne Conway, Peter King, Melissa DeRosa, yeah. you know, whoever Democrat politicians I want to talk to. Right. Do you have advice for me on on having a political discussion without alienating half of the listenership? Uh, 
Yeah. Or, or And or pandering to it, the other half. Don't. Don't. Just be yourself. Yeah. As someone who had you on my show probably damn close to 100 times, if not more than that. Yeah. My audience took to you because you weren't that. You weren't that politician. You weren't that polished, toe the line, even when it makes absolutely no sense. But we just, that's the line I've been told to say. And if I ever want to continue in politics and if I ever want to get out of, you know, local Long Island politics and make it to the national stage, well, I have to say those lines. And if right. I don't say those lines, then I don't have a shot. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. First off, don't go back into politics. Like, <laughs> as a career, don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. They're soulless heathens. They are soulless heathens. Example. It was a great Santos. experience, but yeah, go on. Santos, Santos was like a gift that kept on giving for us for two weeks. We don't talk politics. Nothing about that was politics. No. As a matter of fact, it's what human. I said was, if ever there was a place where he was among his people, it's in Congress. <laughs> right? It's in Congress. He's the distillation of the lying politician. Right. So then what happened? So they know everything he did. They know everything he lied about. But they need that head count. So, well, you know, we can't rush to judgment. You know he needs it. A soulless heathen, like you know that. Yeah, just get rid of them. No, we need we need to have that many republics. So, and I get that part. I just couldn't do it. Like I just can't, I, I don't have the wherewithal to listen to BS because it's just. <laughs> I, I am on a mission though to get people who are of common sense, who really are true to themselves, who are normal, who understand their communities, who understand the grassroots, to get them involved in politics. Uh, but but I wonder if you're in for a long time, and I had a total of eight years, you yeah. know, four years in the legislature, four years as county exec. Uh, but even my daughter would say to me, you know, you, when you come home, your eyes are just empty. Yeah. I wonder if, if the longer you're in it, it's hard to keep to that true self. You're also getting information that the public doesn't necessarily have, right? That's not good information. I mean, you know, especially oh, yeah. when you're the county executive level, I would assume that – you know, when there, there are things going on and not so much terror threats, but there was probably COVID information that you had that they didn't want out there. That was scary. Yeah. You know, and you or things to, that were just really difficult and troubling and tragic and sad and, you, and anxiety producing. And you knew when the line that they were giving you to tow was lies and that you have to come home and you have to justify that in your head and then go home and be a parent and be a mom, get to a soccer practice, get to whatever it is and, and, and try and do all that stuff, knowing that these people may or may not be lying and trying to use my office to get a point across or to get people to do something that they don't want to do. And, you know, I remember when they first started with the vaccines and we had, that was a Dr. Larry. Yeah, Dr. Larry right? Eisenstein. It was right because we started, they started doing the vaccines and it was when the Yankees got vaccinated. And all of a sudden, vaccinated Yankees were getting, were getting it again. And that's when everybody starts saying, that's oh, right. I whoa, forgot whoa, whoa. about that. That was in the very beginning of that whole vaccine, pro-vaccination, anti And I, I got vaccinated right away. I did. I don't know if I would do it again. You know, I don't know if I would rush right out there again, but I got vaccinated. I did. But at the time, I had the, the bastard shot. I had the Johnson & Johnson. Mm. Like, everybody thought I was going to die <laughs> yeah. you know, in the first five minutes. Um, but, you know, and then all of a sudden, people who were vaccinated started getting it again. And then we asked Dr. Larry, and he was kind of pushing, well, you know, it's possible. It's this, and, thing. and I'm like, mm, something's not right. Give us Laura back. You know, like the guy, but he was 
towing a line. It felt like he was towing a line. And, see, and we got away from that because, and then we brought you and we brought Steve Ballone back in because there was no line to tell. You were just giving us facts and, okay, they're starting to open up parks. Can we go into the parks? Can we, remember you had and that you line? Remember I, what, <laughs> the what line was the with line? the tennis balls? Yeah. So, yes. I get reminded of that at least once a week. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, you can Google Laura Curran and tennis balls. <laughs> but it was funny because it showed how much we micromanage. Basically, it's talking about like you can't touch other people's right. tennis balls. Yeah. And it, uh, but basically how much government was trying to micromanage your life. And yeah. I think that's why that struck such a nerve. It sure did. And people in Australia were looking at it. It sure did. And it's funny having Peter King on. The other day between my two shows, because I do a morning show at WBAB on Long Island, and then we do a midday talk show for a station in Tampa. We just walk down the hallway and do it. And I never go out for to grab – I never go to a diner for breakfast real quick. But I did. I was like, you know what? I need to get out of here. And I went, and I see Peter King sitting in the diner yeah. by himself. Aww, and I was like so – sweet. And I've only met him one other time. And I was like, do I go up to him? I'm like, you know what? Let me just let this guy. He would love it if you said hi. He's the most friendly person. <laughs> uh, hang on. We're, we'll be right back with J.P. Parisi on Cut to the Chase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. I'm Laura Curran on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, Coming up, we're going to speak to Peter King. I'm going to take your calls at 833-969-447. But now, you know, I've been asking J.P. Parisi of J.P. in the Morning uh, advice on how to do a radio show and how to suck people in and keep them there. But if you don't mind, since I feel like you are my therapist, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a little life advice. We did have a lot of therapy sessions. We, we did. Like, sometimes I almost cried. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Like, if those kinds of breakthroughs, when I was out <laughs> walking my dog with you in my uh, well, in my a, headset. We'd have dogs barking. Laura would call. At first, everything with Laura was very, was like, I have to go to this part of my house. It's where it's quiet. Yes. It'll be his work. Close the door. Within three months and she's like there's horns bark there's horns beeping there's dogs barking she's waving she's saying hello to neighbors i'm I'm like oh that's where we rate now now you just do us while you're doing your cardio my uh well listen okay so when you first met me i was a political person i was county executive uh but i'm going back to my roots now i used to be a journalist i was at the daily news i was at the new york post and now i'm having Fun. Now that I've been in the sausage factory of politics and government, right. I can kind of take what I learned. It's uh-huh. like a great undercover gig that I did, right. and then use that, synthesize the two careers into this this radio uh, opportunity. And I, again, I just have to thank Margot and John Katsimatidis for this yeah. opportunity because it's super super fun. Right, and everyone here at the radio station just, is supportive. Just so you know, but everybody who starts out in radio ends up starting in small markets and this that and the other.
other thing, and like Long Island's a top 20 market, but it's small, and they all have aspirations to get to New York City. So when someone like you comes along with zero radio background and poof, just ends up starting out their career in New York City radio, people don't like you. Well, you know, they did tell me I have a great face for radio. So. Uh, we all do. We all do. But it's uh, it's great that you ended up here. That's awesome. Thank you very much. So, you know, all politicians, recovering politicians, maybe it's sort of like being a recovering addict. You're, mm. You sort of have the siren song, come back, you know. run for office, Why would you do, do it? it again. Do you think... Do you think I should do that? I no. still have I, I still have two kids at home, teenagers. They'll tell you right away. Not My to husband do it. will go either way if he'll support me if I want to do it, but you know. Right. I wouldn't do it. Either. I mean, I don't understand how you can be in a room with a room full of politicians and know that at minimum 80% of the stuff that's coming out of their mouth is lies. They're just lying to you to get what they need, what they and want. It's not necessarily, we help you, you know, bring you along, you know, it's, but it's like, not evil lying. It's strategic uh, lying. Like they have, a, they have a goal and they have to say such and right. such to, and they have to maybe be nice to this person they don't like, or be mean to this person they do like yeah. as a strategic thing to get for, for a part. Like we could say, putting it nicely, the greater good, a greater goal, benefiting society. Yeah, but even the, it's their version of the greater good, mm. and it's their version of that. And it, does that match with yours? And, you know, are you selling a little bit of yourself, you know, to for this bigger thing that you may or but may not hold hard? Yeah, okay, the money's not even that great until you're stealing. <laughs> Right? Unless I mean, you're George Santos. Not yeah, to George, pick on that guy George again. Santos, but let's talk Pelosi. I mean, we, that whole story is there. She wasn't. How does somebody who makes a couple hundred thousand a year end up worth that? You know what? I wonder that. I, there Everybody are wonders that. People with mansions and big, beautiful houses, and you've been in public service right. your whole life. How does that happen? And then they don't want you to have walls, but their homes are surrounded by walls. And they don't want you to have guns, but they have armed security. So, or they don't want you to have a gas that, stove. And that's <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, that went over. That's where down. I don't. Yeah, but they're going through with it. They're going to keep pushing it. Watch, it's crazy. And I just don't have. I can't deal with hypocrisy mm-hmm. at all. Like mm-hmm. I can't deal. But I with... think that's part of your emotional intelligence is that you can sniff it out. Yeah, but so can you. I mean, yeah. everybody can. It's everybody just whether can. or not they're willing to be just. Like in evil. the end, in like the evil. end, everybody can sniff it out. I mean, you it can, might take a while. But. You can go back and look at all old political clips of, you know, I can't. How many politicians say we got to get control of the border from the left? From the left? From years ago? From when Clinton was in office and Hillary was saying and Bill was saying we got to get control of our border? It all starts with our border. And then all of a sudden, now they completely flip the script. No, the borders. Now you're a racist. Now you're this. Like, how could you be around those people and not want to? Str- Listen, as I drove in here, as I drove in, I'm saying to myself, because driving in New York City is always a good time. It's like a video game. Right. And I'm saying to myself, if I could be locked up for what's in my head, they'd convict me for 16 murders just from the Midtown, from the Midtown <laughs> Tunnel to here because I'm just like cursing at everybody and I want to kill them. Nicole must have loved that. Yeah, in the car she, with <laughs> she she loves it. I just don't like. Back, I don't understand how they can stand for one thing until that one thing doesn't suit them anymore, and then stand for the complete opposite thing. And you want to be around those people. I want to keep those people as far away from my life as I possibly can. Mm. So if you said, "Hey, run, somebody," so somebody once asked me to run for the school board. 
Oh, that's how I started in this right? whole thing. So they wanted me to run for the school board. And I made a phone call to a friend of mine and to our former Suffolk County, well, the Suffolk County executive, Steve Ballone. And I said, hey, listen, I'm being asked to do this. And both of them were like, yeah, don't do that. You're not, uh, you're not going to do well <laughs> in that whole thing because you don't have. Although you could argue maybe we do need someone without a filter. Yeah. You know, they need someone without a filter until they get somebody without a filter. And then next thing you know, it's like everybody. I can't. So to you, I would say you're out. You made it out. You I made did. it out alive. I did. You made it out with your sanity. You I made did. it out with a cool gig. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, How with, great is this? With a cool gig, where you get to just be yourself and and be able to stick to your opinions because you're not looking for a gig back in politics. You know, I always tried when I was in politics and government um, never to say what I didn't believe, and I could I held true to that. Right. But I couldn't say everything. I know. I and I sniffed it right out. I'm you like, did. You're not telling us the whole story. Whereas podcast, live radio, talk radio, it's 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 this most liberating feeling mm-hmm. that I can say whatever I want. Yeah. But, but I still get this twinge. It's like it's like muscle memory. I still get this twinge like, oh, did I just go too far? Was I just too honest right now? Doing this medium and cancel culture. During this whole, and yeah. I think cancel and culture happened to you. Do you ever feel like you went too far? Have you gotten, have you experienced that backlash? Oh my God. Yeah. I made a, uh, a vaccine joke. It was something about, they were going to, they were talking about, and this was not, this was before COVID and they were talking about something about kids and not being able to go to school if they were vaccinated. And oh, I yeah. just made a one-off joke about like, you want to see how, you know, threaten to lock the parents up and watch how quick those kids end up vaccinated and in school. Throw away joke. I mean, that's a funny. Not dad, even f- actually a, just a dad joke. Just f- dumb. Just yeah. a throwaway line as we were getting off the air meant yeah. absolutely nothing yeah. to me. Next thing you know, I mean, that was like somebody lit up the bat light for the anti-vaxxers and they went after my boss. They called the radio station. They went after car dealerships that I do sponsorship for, wow. home improvements that I do sponsorships for. Any clients that I represent on the radio and do endorsements for, they went after them. And I'm telling you, within 15 minutes, within 15 minutes, so I don't know if it was a bat light, if it was a Facebook page or whatever it was. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I had no problem giving the apology because it was a throwaway line. Right. But now when you say, I can say whatever I want, you can. Not so much. You can, I mean, you can do it. You just have to not have to worry about this to be feeding a family. Mm-hmm. And I don't watch what I say. I'm older and smarter mm-hmm. about what I say and how I say it. And you have a lot of experience. But again, we don't get into politics all that often. I mean, yeah. when you and Steve Ballone came on, you weren't. Yes, you were the county executives, but you were coming on with information. It wasn't about you guys coming on and saying, well, listen, Democrats are going to protect this island and we know what to do. So you need to listen to it. That wasn't what it was. Right. And then it was, you know, we, and started- we were actually pushing against the governor right. at the time about the malls and the businesses and trusting, the trusting the business owners to know how to keep themselves yeah. and their companies and their you were very employees de- safe. You were very desantis in the, at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> keep it open. Open up these shops. We need the money. Yeah. That, that was you, the other thing. And also, did. and also mental health. We see what's happened, this sort of cascading crisis of men- mental health, especially among young people. I mean, I read in the paper that young people, they're not having sex. They're not dating. They're looking at porn all the time. Like they, they're not socializing like we used to do. Right. It makes me sad. It's. I mean, and and this is this is the sort of thing that I was concerned about. 
what would happen financially and what would happen to people's mental health, especially young people and adolescents who yeah. are alone with screens all the time. Well, we're about to see what's really, you know, what all that really led to, you know? Yeah. But my advice to you is stick to this. All right. Well, let's because see. Because you get to keep your, see how it goes. you get to keep your soul. I get to keep my soul and I'm there for my family. And anyway, it's, it's a lot easier <laughs> to know what to say from the cheap seats, right. you know, to lob that criticism. Because you can, because you're not worried about your job. Yeah. You know, you're not worried about your job, especially when you turned your job into being the person who gets to lob those bombs. Yeah. You know, you get to lob your opinions and you get to. And who knows? Maybe I could up. have a, maybe I could have a little influence for the good, you know? From here you can. Yeah. As a politician? No. No, they're bad people. Look at me. They're bad people. All right. They're bad people. I'm looking you in the eye. Except for Peter King, but he got out. Peter King got out. We're going to talk to him about Ukraine, about Kathy Hochul's housing plan, and your calls on Cut to the Chase on 77 WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Before we get to my next guest, by the way, this is Laura Curran on 77 WABC Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get to Peter King, uh, I want you to stay tuned at 5 p.m. It's Positively Ernie with Ernie Ernastas and Patricia Stark. That's what coming up right after Cut to the Chase at 5 p.m. And before that, I'm going to take your calls at 833-969-4447. But it is my pleasure to introduce my fellow Long Islander, former Congressman Peter King. Peter, welcome to Cut to the Chase. Hey, Laura, great to be with you. And really, you know, good luck on the show. We need voices like yours out there. So good luck. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So far, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, so two things I well, want. I'll bring your ratings down during this. <laughs> I doubt that. I doubt that. Uh, so two issues, two burning issues that I want to talk to you. One hits home for us Long Islanders, and that is Governor Hochul's housing plan, the zoning plan. Um, there are practical issues. I had an op-ed in Newsday last week. Uh, practical infrastructure issues about our water table, um, increased flooding because of climate change, antiquated da- drainage, you know, things that are really nuts and bolts kind of grassroots issues that I'm hoping the governor takes into account. Um, but I wanted to talk to you more on the political side of things. And we know whether it's Republican or Democrat, uh, we on Long Island are very attached to local control. Um, and I'm someone who is a huge fan of more housing and a huge uh, advocate, booster, uh, uh, enabler, you might say, of building up our downtowns. And we've seen communities that want it, that have had success doing this, places like Farmingdale, Lynbrook, Westbury, Mineola, Rockville Center. Uh, but politically, what advice would you give the governor on this issue, Peter King? You know, first of all, I think you're making an awful lot of sense on this. And I think that your op-ed at Newsday 
may have had an impact because uh, Newsday's editorial today <clears throat> seems to be moderating what they've been calling for a few weeks ago. I think they realized the importance of having strong local input because you have two, not competing, but two different views here. One is, you know, people in the suburbs moved here for a reason. They want to keep suburban life the way it is. On the other hand, we do need more housing. And how do you accommodate that? And as you mentioned, places like Farmingdale have done an outstanding job. Uh, Lindbrook, I guess. I know uh, out in Patchogue, I've seen what's been done there. Yeah. So it can be done if the people are brought along into it, if they have input. And if it can be done in such a way that it's not going to change, basically, you know, the uh, basic structure of, of the community. It's not going to be too much housing. It's going to be too much pressure on schools or too much uh, pressure on the infrastructure. At the same time, we have so many young people moving out because they can't afford to live here. And you have older people who maybe want to sell a house and move into a, an apartment-type uh, dwelling. That we have to try to accommodate all of that. But to have somebody in Albany telling us there's an arbitrary number you have to reach, you have to do it this way or that way. And I get really, other than if you go beyond incentives, I get concerned that you give that power to a bureaucrat in uh, who made their own ideological agenda. They can put tremendous pressure on a local government to do not just what the people may not want, but it can be very damaging to that community. So I, I just think to the extent we can make it incentive-based and the extent that uh, communities really have an input, working with the state, if the state wants to do that, that's fine, so long as the final uh, authority comes from the local government. As we've seen in areas that, I mean, I didn't expect it to happen so quickly and so successfully in Farmingdale, but it did. Yeah, it's and it's and that whole downtown, it was... The main street in Farmingdale was dead. It's completely revitalized. It's where you want to go on date night USA on Saturday nights. You know, one thing that the mayor, Ralph Ekstrand, uh, in Farmingdale did was get local buy-in. That's something that takes time. It takes a lot of hand-holding. you got to have a lot of meetings where people are upset. But you you kind of find the tripwires and you find ways to make it work. And if you make the community part of the solution, as we've seen in, you know, these patchogs and all of these places that we're talking about, you can get it done. I think of the resentment comes when you try to do it from on high, from, uh, from a, from another place and with a, with a bit of a condescending attitude. Well, you know what? We know what's better for you than you do. Yeah, that, that is, uh, I think what offends and antagonizes people the most. And you and I know that we may have had very well thought out positions on what we thought should be done. But when you get into a dialogue, you realize that there's some weaknesses in your argument or there's ways you can strengthen it or you can incorporate ideas of others or, it, or you can make concessions that maybe you're not that crazy about, but it uh, you know, brings about you know, the, you know, the greater good. So, no, I think, but again, the thought of having somebody hundreds of miles away who's maybe never lived in a suburban area, lives anywhere near the people that they're talking about or maybe has a specific ideological agenda and just wants to pursue it no matter what. To me, that is just a, uh, a blueprint for disaster or certainly for failure. So now I, I would hope the governor can make this more incentive-based and really, if she is going to have people assigned to this, to negotiate in good faith and not be coming in with an attitude saying, you know, you people down here are a bunch of hicks, you don't know what you're doing, you're, you're blind, you're prejudiced and everything else, and this is how we're going to do it, because that's just going to lead to such a backlash that you know, really nothing is going to get done. So stay tuned. Uh, the governor has said she's going to make some adjustments and some changes. I think she's listening to people from Long Island. So stay tuned for that. Also, this is in her budget. It's not a standalone piece of legislation. So if the budget passes with this, this will pass as well. Uh, so, so going from micro 
local to global. Uh, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Ukraine. I heard your interview on Sid and Friends. You and Sid went at it. It was a great conversation, really interesting and eye-opening. I read your column in The Hill. You're concerned that folks in the GOP, uh, and you say this as someone who was on the Homeland Security Committee uh, in Congress, you were in the Intelligence Committee, you were in Congress for 28 years, you worked on peace in Ireland, you worked on a lot of really important international problems, um, helping to solve them. But there are folks in the GOP who haven't been there very long who are advocating for ending military aid to Ukraine. They're saying we're giving a blank check. It doesn't affect us. We've got problems of our own to fix. And you're very passionate, and I share your passion in this, Peter, that continuing to support Ukraine is incredibly important. So what do you say about this whole idea of, well, we're just writing them a blank check? Yeah, first of all, there's no evidence for that. I mean, if anything, I've been somewhat critical of the Biden for taking so long to uh, give Ukraine the armaments it needs. I mean, they took months to agree to give them javelins, to give them, uh, you know, uh, much of the artillery that they wanted. And with the tanks, how that's going on. Having said that, I think the Biden direct, uh, administration is basically going in the right direction. But all this talk about a blank check, that's become a buzzword. And there's no basis at all for saying the money is not being spent properly. But also, most of it is not money. We're sending them armaments. We're sending them, you know, actually you know, right there, you know, the hardware that they need you know, to win this fight. And it's not just Ukraine we're talking about. Ukraine, really, if that's right now where the battle against Russian aggression is being fought. If Russia is successful in Ukraine, when all of Europe is, and the United States are united against Russia, and if they're able to wear down uh, the United States and, and uh, Europe, then that's going to send such a terrible signal to the rest of the world. First of all, if they are able to uh, take over Ukraine, then you know, what does that do to Poland? What does that do uh, to Romania? What does that do? And people say, who cares about Poland or Romania? Well, apart from the human rights aspect and the uh, idea of human decency, that is going to give Russia a uh, close to a stranglehold, certainly extend its economic power, its economic dominance in Europe. Countries like France and Germany will be in uh, Russia's economic orbit. I know that, for instance, uh, China is watching carefully what happens. All of this great unity in Ukraine allows itself to just give in and let Russia prevail, how can we even hope to defend uh, Taiwan? China will see that and say, my God, if they can't uh, defend Ukraine, how are they going to defend Taiwan, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away? And then countries like Japan and South Korea and the Philippines are going to look at that and say it's going to be in their national interest to get closer to China and start moving away from the United States, which has tremendous economic impact and also as we've seen from World War One, World War Two, and throughout history, uh, that means that ultimately, I think that you know, there will be a larger war, which is going to put American uh, men and women on the ground fighting, which would not have been the case if we could just stop them where they are. I'll just end on this before uh, uh, Sid the other day was saying these people have been fighting for centuries. That's right; these countries were fighting: France and Germany, mm. England, go to all of them. But then, when the United States became engaged. As the world power, after World War II, there's been virtually none of that since then. We have been able to maintain an equilibrium and been able to keep uh, all of us from uh, emerging into another world war. And that was really the real significance of NATO. In 44 years, we had 43 years where we spent a lot of money and raised, uh, again, tremendous amounts of armaments. 
but it stopped the Soviet Union and caused it to crumble. You know, you talk about World War II, and I think everyone is surprised by the strength and grit and resilience of the uh, president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. You know, when this when this war first started a year ago, everyone thought it would last a couple weeks. And here we are a, le- a year later, and he is steadfast. He has rallied his people. He has given them courage. And he reminds me of the Winston Churchill of our time. And I'm concerned we have some folks who would be the Neville Chamberlain of our time saying, eh, let it go. It doesn't affect us. And you make very good points. It does affect us. And it does affect uh, what what China thinks of us, what other would-be aggressors think of us and, and would want to flex their muscles. And I, I see there are some folks in Congress right now who are kind of taking the Never, Neville Chamberlain approach. Yeah, and these are the Republicans. It's interesting. Like if you disagree, or I disagree as a Republican, let's say the Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or Donald Trump, for that matter, who basically you know ridicule our position in Ukraine and they call us rhinos. I would say that Donald Trump is the rhino because Ronald Reagan's to me that was a template for the Republican Party. We believe in uh, strong national defense. We believe in that the United States has to maintain the position of power in the world that we can't be backing down to tyranny. We have to stand up to it. Going back to John Kennedy as a Democrat saying, you know, uh, bear any burden, pay any price, and it's a long twilight struggle. So but unfortunately, the Democrats, and I'm not trying to be partisan, they lost a lot of that years ago, the George McGovern wing of the party. The Republicans under Ronald Reagan and since then have maintained that strong national defense posture until now, where you have people like Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and I mentioned them because they're the most prominent, and uh, to me, uh, showing no knowledge of history. And I'm, by the way, I've never been uh, enthused about the term, you know, make uh, of uh, America first. Mm -hmm. The history of America first in the 1930s, that was absolutely opposed to giving any aid to Britain, taking any measures against uh, Germany or Japan. And then 1941 comes along. And America First was just cast out. They were looked upon as those who really led the the country in the wrong direction. Now we say that again. If you're really interested in America First, that means you want American security and you want American freedom. And we'll do that by being a strong America and not giving in to Russia. And again, this isn't a matter of pride. It's not just a matter of Ukraine. But, you know, you mentioned Zelensky. I think he's a hero. I mean, if we go back a year ago, President Biden was offering him an escape route. And we, you know, we put him on a jet and got him out. That's of right. And he said, no, give me your arms. forget that. Uh, you know, planes to get out. But yet, when you mention his name, like, when he, I mean, Time Magazine uh, named him Man of the Year. And I put that on my Facebook page. I mentioned it. I got, I would say, 95% of the comments were hostile. hostile. This man's a crook. He's a thief. He's corrupt. He's evil. How can you fall for him? I haven't seen anything to indicate that he's anything but a hero. I mean, here's a guy who was literally walking through the streets of Kiev days after Russian troops had begun their invasion. Whoever would have thought that would happen and the leadership you've shown. And yet, uh, you hear it, like, for instance, the other day on with Sid, he was saying he hates Zelensky, he can't stand him. You hear this, why? Other people say you can't believe a word he says. And everything he said so far has been honest, it's been accurate, and he's shown extraordinary leadership, very similar to Churchill. And... uh, I mean, I don't listen. I'm not saying the guy's perfect. I don't know enough about him, but everything we've seen, he's what a leader should be. And until we see the opposite, we have an obligation, I think, to stand with him. 
Peter King, thank you so much for joining me. And we get more into this conversation. We talk about would this have happened under Trump and lots of other stuff on my podcast that comes out tomorrow. But in the meantime, Peter, thank you. And after the break, call me. I want to talk to you, dear listener, 833-969-4447. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am Laura Curran. Be sure to stick around after the show to hear another brand new addition to the 77 WABC weekend lineup. So starting at 5 o'clock in 10 minutes, it's Positively Ernie and Patricia with Ernie Anastas and Patricia Stark. And now I want to talk to you. So are the lines lighting up? They are. Good stuff. Uh, call me, Laura Curran, at 833-969-4447. And let's see. How do I do this now? Do I touch this guy? Oh, okay. He's going to handle it. See this? They make it so easy for me here at WABC. I love this team. So we have Chris uh, from the Catskills. Hey, good afternoon, uh, County Executive Kern. Uh, Hello, I was Chris. a county legislator for two terms myself. Really? In upstate New York. And where, a, where, what I am a Ulster. I worked with uh, County Executive Mike Hine. You might have heard of oh, him. Oh, yeah. He, he I like a him a lot. He's a, great, politics. he's a great guy. Yeah. He would have he beat... Uh, he would have beat John Faso. The, the 14 Democratic county chairs wanted him to run instead of Zephyr Teachout. Mm. He decided not to. He probably would have beat John Faso by two to four points, and Zephyr Teachout lost by nearly nine points. Uh, Mike left after a little over 10 years of service. He went to go work for Governor Cuomo, I remember. Yeah, temporary disability office in uh, – dispersal of funds didn't go so well and then when with the change of the regimes he was out so, so where are Mike you in, where are you well. in, where uh chris where are you in ulster county it's such beautiful country up there Saugerties. lovely lovely yeah, so how are you nice listening to us are yeah you, a lot of nice real estate are you listening on the app uh, i am i am a talk radio junkie so i nice. know curtis and frank morano know me well so does dominic carter and i'll tell you when i heard you Filling in when um, uh, Lydia Saranai, I guess she left for another job. You, they had a, kind of a rotation for different weeks, and I said, "Who is this?" And I, I, it took me maybe ten or fifteen minutes, and I thought, "Wow, she's she's got a really good voice for radio." So you did some great things when you were county executive. Uh, you, you, well, I'm not a big fan of term limits because in smaller town areas, you run out of the talent pool. <laughs> yeah, it's easier uh, in a, it's easier in a big city. Office. But you put countywide tax assessment in. And it's ironic because the guy that beat me, we used to be bitter enemies. We had a very uh, tough election. He was with the Independence Party and got endorsed by the Republicans and, and conservatives. 
he switched over to Democrat because the demographics in Ulster County in the last 10 years in particular have switched way Democrat. So he's a very conservative. Both of us are very strong policy wonks. So, you know, uh, not to change the subject, but your former county executive, Pat Ryan, is now in Congress. And I really see him as a promising uh, future, what well, is part of the promising future for my party, for the Democratic Party. So, Chris, thank you so much for calling. Please call again. All right. Uh, we have John on line one to talk about the zoning issues. John from Long Island. Where are you from on Long Island, John? John, I'm calling from Riverhead. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Been for a while, um, and that was a good tie-in there with JP. Uh, Thanks. Suffolk County, I've been monitoring this thing, and the question that keeps coming to my mind is, why do the politicians care about this? Mm. And so you always go back and follow the money. And so the real estate associations, the developers, have been filling the coffers. If you're a developer, you want this to happen. You're going to build. You're going to make money. Your real estate magnet of sort, you want this because you're going to be able to make profit on properties that you own. You care about what gets built right here in Riverhead. We see things being built rapidly. Um, no one's thinking about the infrastructure. No one's thinking about the school districts. So, uh, and then, you know, in the beginning, she went after the zoning issues before when she was, you know, before the election. Uh, she didn't under, even understand what the zoning issues were. But then I went back and looked, well, $25 million came from certain real estate associations into the coffers. Hmm. They wanted to release the idea of so many people can live in a property and leave that to the state level. But you know what's so, interesting, John? I, I did speak with some very Long Island-centric, a couple of very Long Island-centric developers, and they told me off the record, so I'm not going to name that, they felt this was tone deaf for Long Island. So, you know, I don't know if all developers agree that this is fabulous. Uh, I hear what you're saying, and I understand that sometimes these folks have undue influence, but not all of the – some developers, they know the infrastructure issues. They know, you know, a lot of Long Island is built on marsh. Uh, a lot of Suffolk, where you live, doesn't have sewers that doesn't allow for density. They get those those very practical problems. Uh, but your point is well taken that sometimes money in politics skews good policy. I just don't think she understands the issues, yet she's getting skewed into certain corners. And these are very complicated local issues. But at very. the same time, I get the housing issue. I get it. I have three kids in the city. You know, they're probably end up leaving Long Island because of the cost. We've done the math a hundred times. Yeah, but, I know. You know we, I think everyone time, agrees we need more housing and we need more affordable housing. But the question is, how do you do it? And I think you got to you got to meet with those grassroots. You got to really look at every nut and bolt. And, and plan it from the ground up, not from the top down. Yeah. So anyway, I just uh, put that out there, but welcome. We'll hope to keep listening to you. I work on Sunday afternoon, so cool. I'll be listening. I'll keep you company, John. Call back. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Karen. It looks like Karen has a bone to pick with me from West Hempstead. Hi, Karen. Hi. Yes, I do. Hi. Why? Well, what is it? What's going on? I'm in CSCA. Where do you, what department do you work in? Do you want to tell me? Nassau Community College. I work in accounts payable. I pay the bills. Ah, very important. Yes. And the last raise I got was a cost of living adjustment July 1st of 2017. Mm. And I got nothing since then. My taxes and my total cost of living 
and all of the people who I take care of, and I'm elderly and I'm taking care of people. Wow. Everything has gone up, and it's beyond the salary that I make. And, like, thank God for Social Security because I keep working and my Social Security goes up. It's rough. I can still stay here, but, yeah, someday I'm going to have to move out. Yeah. Yeah, the cost of living is going – and living on Long Island is very expensive. I know. I want to know why – I was told by my union representatives – that you would not negotiate. Wow. Well, it's, I can tell you, we, we did negotiate. Um, we tried, there was, it was difficult, but we absolutely tried to negotiate. Uh, I mean, it's the people of government, the 7,500 employees who are in Nassau County who are doing the actual work. And, uh, uh, so I guess, you know, I'm not there anymore, so you might want to take it up with the new guy. But I want to thank you for your work and all of your colleagues. It was a real privilege and an honor to work with the amazing men and women in Nassau County. So, Karen, thanks for the call, and I wish you all the best. You're going to dismiss me, but you were my boss, and you let me down. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Karen. Thank you for calling. Eddie also wants to complain about taxes. Eddie from Long Island, what's up? Hi, how are you, Laura? I'm great. You got exactly one minute. Sorry to put you well, on the yeah, spot I'll there. Make, I'll make it real quick. I, I had two points, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the the main point that okay. we're talking about. I've heard you on the Sid Rosenberg show. Yes, yeah, Sid and Friends. Okay, every morning, right here every morning on WABC Monday through Friday. Yeah, I, I you know I, I I listen every day, but but I I have to I hate to call you a liar. Oh, I, I think well, hold on. Go ahead. I'm ready. You said, on his show, you said on his show during your administration, you never raised taxes in Nassau County. That's a lie. Oh. Because you reassessed every home in Nassau County, and my taxes went up, and dozens of my friends' taxes went up. Well, so, so to Eddie, you, you Eddie, 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 I'm going to stop you right there because we're out of time. But I, wa- I just want you to know I did not, for our for our revenue, did not get one extra penny in tax revenue. So there was a reassessment and we can, we should probably do a whole show on that because it'll, I don't want to put everyone to sleep with it because it might be boring for people who don't live in Nassau County. Reassessment was done as it's supposed to be done. We did not get one extra penny in revenue from property taxes. And Eddie, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to leave it there, but please call me back and we can get more in depth on this. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the maiden voyage of Cut to the Chase with Laura Kern. Stay tuned here on Talk Radio WABC 77 on your AM dial with Positively Ernie and Patricia. Thanks for tuning in. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.